This is Radio Influence. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. Coming up on this edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast, I am joined by Scott Cutberg to discuss several subjects about mixed martial arts. Over the next hour, Scott and I will discuss the quote-unquote regional scene, how he viewed matchmaking, scouting prospects, and comments made this past weekend by Meryl Streep at the Golden Globe Awards. Now, before I bring in Scott, I want to let you know about my sponsor, Fight TV. They are your number one source for MMA, boxing, and pro wrestling video. Your gateway to everything fight, MMA, wrestling, boxing, and more live on your phone or TV. Download Fight Free today by going to fight, F-I-T-E dot TV forward slash radio influence forward slash to download that app. Scott, I appreciate you uh, c- coming on here on the MMA Insiders podcast this week. Of course, uh, I think a lot of people will, will know you from your matchmaking days with RFA and also Titan. You've run shows as well. But uh, what's been going on with you for the last year? Just living the dream, being a dad, uh, coaching wrestling. So I'm coaching a couple of youth wrestling clubs right now. So really kind of coaching seven days a week and, and uh, just being a fan for once. I know when I was in uh, in Kansas City a couple weeks ago, we were going to try to get up, but you had a, you had a wrestling meet, and uh, but you, but you're staying busy. I mean, I, I think uh, a lot of people prior probably maybe the the introduction to you was with your time with, with RFA, but uh, you know, outside of coaching wrestling, are, are you doing anything else in the MMA uh, industry at this point? Uh, helping a couple fighters out, you know, Megan Anderson's fighting for the Invicta featherweight title uh, this weekend, so. Helping her out a little bit, and 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 uh, outside that, we've got KCFA that uh, we, Joe Wooster, myself, and James Cross have been doing for uh, a few years now, and and uh, just keeping busy with that. Yeah, you know, one of the things I always say about the the regional scene, especially from a reporter side, is you, sometimes you should just go to these events to see what happens. Because, man, I would tell you, I see some major just screw ups by regional promoters. I, and I've talked about this before. I think the biggest mistake I always see is like you see some massive ticket seller, and he's like in the second fight, and the building starts to empty out. Oh yeah, I, I, you you don't. It's not even just uh, regional shows. You know, we we made that mistake before in Titan. Before when we uh, we were in Kansas City, we had uh, uh, Shark Bait versus Brett Johns, and after his fight, everybody left uh, left the building. So, you know, you've you've got a great main event and co-main event after him, and and nobody in the building to watch it. So, uh, you know, it's, some of those things are just lessons that have to be learned the hard way. I think Bellator is going to once again learn that lesson in two weeks. You know, they, they you know, as we're recording this here on a Tuesday evening, January tenth, they they announced today that Melvin Gillard is going to headline uh, Bellator one seventy one against Chidi and Shikwani. and the co-main event of that fight card is David Rickles. Now, anyone who knows kind of the inner workings of when Bellator goes uh, to there to uh, Mulvane, Kansas, which is right outside of Wichita, is that David Rickles has to be on the card. He, he's just a massive ticket seller. My understanding that the, the ticket sales have done extremely well for this event, and uh, half that building might empty out after David Rickles fights over. There, there's there's a very good chance of that. I mean, Dave, uh, Dave has a huge following there, and, and, and you said it, you know, if they do a show there, he's got to be on the card, and that's just kind of the way it is. And, 
Um, you know, he has an exciting fight too with you know Aaron Darrow, who hasn't uh, he hasn't been in the cage much as of late, but uh, you know has a submission victory over Rich Clemente in the past. And and you know when I saw that Chitty Anjikawani and and, and uh, Melvin Gillard were going to fight, I was super excited because that's a fun fight. But the local fans they're not going to care much once uh, Rickles is done. Yeah, I mean, I think for the the fans that are going to tune in on Spike TV, it's it's an interesting matchup. Of course, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a catchweight bout of 170 uh, 75 pounds. Melvin had had said that you know his days at 155 are over. He's moved, you know, was going to move up to 170 pounds. Of course, uh, some people may remember he was actually suspended a year uh, from the Kansas Athletic Commission due to a failed drug test. But uh, he met uh, you know all the stipulations of that, so he was able to come off. That suspension earlier, but I mean that's going to be a card that I think for you as a Midwest. I mean, you probably know pretty much everyone that's going to be on that undercard. I'll I'll know pretty much everybody that's on that fight card, and I, you know I'm going to go out there for that. I'm pretty excited to to see that card. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I I I when I heard the main event today, I, I was stoked because uh, you know Chitty obviously fought for me and in RFA and then, you know, Melvin has his ties to the Midwest, you know, uh, uh, training some in Oklahoma in the past. And, and, you know, that's going to be an exciting fight. Obviously you have a, a very unique look at, at MMA based on your history in this sport. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of major things going on in this sport, whether, uh, it's in terms of, of the new rules that, that are going into effect. The, the, the issues there are right now on the commission side, because, not every state is on board with the things they're going to do. It's going to be interesting as uh, coming up this Sunday with the UFC show, the first UFC show of 2017. Arizona is on the new rules. They they have adopted everything. They've done the training. It's going to be very interesting to kind of see how that event ultimately goes down. But but for you, what do you see as the major issues right now in MMA? I think one of the biggest issues is uh, you know I, I look at. MMA and boxing is, is two of the only sports in the world where you have no idea what the score is. Um, you know, that's one thing that uh, I'm really trying to make a push for. And I say I am, um, you know, our organization is really trying to make a push for in the state of Missouri to try to adopt uh, some sort of scoreboard in between rounds. And uh, that's one thing that I think would not just make the fights more exciting, but would make the, the uneducated fan understand a little bit more what's going on. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's so many fights we we can look at. I mean, there's obviously more of an emphasis on, on the 10-8 rounds, but unfortunately, you can put more of an emphasis on 10-8 round, but, you know, you put 10 people in a room and tell them to judge a fight, there, there's no, you can't definitely say that they're all going to see the fight the same. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, you look at it, again, it's one of the only sports in the world where you don't know know that you're down going into the final round, if you're down or not down going into the final round. Uh, you know, you see it so many times, uh, you know, people uh, are in the center of the cage and they're getting ready to announce the decision and neither guy knows who really won. I mean, it's, it's really one of the only sports in the world that that way. And I think that if we could implement some sort of scoring system, live scoring system where the corners know, the fighters know, the fans know that you could see some more exciting outcomes. See, the one thing that I would like to see, and, you know, uh, people who listen to me know that, you know, along with cover MMA, I, I also, uh, you know, work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, part of the radio team during the season. And one of the things that, that happens is there's a pool reporter that gets to go talk to the officials 
after the game is over and ask questions, then he can distribute those quotes out to the media. I would I would like to see something like that implemented into boxing and MMA where you designate one reporter who is there and they have the ability to question the referees and the judges because rarely do you hear a judge come out and defend their scorecard. I'll give a lot of credit back uh, after Bellator 120, Rob Hines was one of the judges working that event, and that was an event that had a, a couple of fights that, that had some uh, questionable scorecards. I reached out to him, and I said, hey, would you want to do an interview to for you to explain your scorecard? He's like, yes, and I, I was shocked when he said yes. But I would love that every time we have these questionable scorecards that we can actually hear from the judge to say, okay, why did you score it that way? But then the other side of this is, there are some cages in MMA where there can be blind spots from where the judge is sitting. Sure. Sure. I mean, and that, that kind of gets to, to one thing that you brought up, you know, UFC is going to do a show with the new rules and and we're not unified. Um, You know, if you, you work for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, both teams are playing on fields that are a hundred yards, you know, and the UFC, the UFC has three, four different size cages. Uh, the cage sides are different. The 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 way that judges score is different. Um, there's so many variables that are so different than any other sport. You know, um, it's it's we've got to find a way to unify the rules a little bit more and make it so that it's more streamlined, so the uneducated fan can become a fan, so that they can understand what's going on. And and I, you know, I look at that as one of the biggest issues. It's really hard to pull in a fan when they don't know how to score when they don't know how a fight is scored from one fight to the next and you know you mentioned rob and rob does a great job uh in the midwest as far as setting up training opportunities for different uh uh judges and kind of teaching them his techniques and things that uh that 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 he's doing yeah i mean you see you know with where the abc is going with with the training sessions they're doing i thought it was very interesting this week uh, you know, they're doing a training here in two weeks in California where it's the Association of Boxing Commissions and Combative Sports and, and the state of California are working in training. And, and to me, the interesting thing was that they are offering up 10 to 12 licensed fighters or trainers at no cost to come participate in these classes. And, and you think back to UFC 207, where you know, the Tim Means situation where Tim, after a fight, is basically saying he didn't know the rules. And, you know, I had Greg Rebell on this podcast uh, two weeks ago, when we were talking about various rules, and you know, one I think one of the perceptions people have is that in MMA, that throwing in the towel is in the unified rules, and it's not. Even though every ref- every referee will honor if someone throws in the white towel. Sure, and, and you're you're mentioning a you're mentioning a paid professional fighter not knowing the rules. What about the average fan? What about the average fan? What about the people that are paying for the tickets? What about the people that are watching it on TV? If if the fighters don't know the rules, how in the world are they supposed to know the rules? Yeah, I mean, it's you. You would think that you know you would sit down and I mean, and it's very easy to find the unified rules of MMA online. You can sit there, and and I think that in just in my dealings with with various commission people, I mean, for the most part, they're all pretty open to talk about. You know, whatever question you are, you know, there's, you know, there's some situations where, you know, uh, they can't talk about things because, you know, it's it's private records so that they can't you know do anything to talk about it. But it's I like what I'm seeing that, you know, there there seems to be this 
that the commissions want to hear the fighter side of things. It's just not, hey, this is the way we're going to go. We, we want to hear what issues the fighter have. And I think one of the, one of the things I kind of look at, and you know, when we look at these early weigh-ins, we are see, it seems to be more fighters are missing weight due to these early weigh-ins. And you hear some things where guys are saying, you know what, if, if you have a, a, a big cut, you're not sleeping the night before. And sometimes I wonder, do, do we need to tweak that you know, maybe these weigh-ins aren't till say, noon as opposed to 9 a.m.? You know, I, I, I don't know that I have a good opinion on that. I, I think that, uh, you know, I think it was California that brought up the first early weigh-ins and, and their thought process behind it was that when a fighter, the longer the fighter has to rehydrate themselves, the less likely they are to have uh, concussion-like uh, symptoms and and. and, and and be able to withstand those types of blows to the head a little bit better, I guess. Um, that was done off of their research. So if we go back to moving it forward to noon or one or whatever it is, we're taking hours away from that potential traumatic brain injuries that could that could be occurring. Uh, I'm I'm no doctor, but uh, I would suspect that the longer you have to rehydrate yourself, the better it is for the fighter as a whole. Maybe we're just cutting too much weight. Yeah, I mean, I think that you look at and just, I mean, let's just look at the UFC. Kelvin Gastelum, Donald Cerrone. I mean, you, you sure. look at the fact of how these guys look at a higher weight as opposed to trying to, to cut down to a lower weight class. And, and I, I do get the sense, and I don't get your thought about this, but I get the sense that fighters are kind of coming around of, it's not about making the, weight, the lowest weight possible. It's about what, what's the best weight for you on fight night. Sure. No, I, I think that's something you've seen, but at the same time, it's been a problem not just since the UFC came around. You know, fighting, you know, MMA has been a mainstream sport now for what, 20 years? It's not been that long, but the sport of wrestling's been around for forever. And, uh, you know, it's been an ongoing problem in the sport of wrestling. And, you know, they came out with new weight certifications and, and different things in the sport of wrestling to try to cut back on the, the weight cutting and things like that. But, at, at the end of the day, everybody's trying to find ways to get around that. Everybody feels like they're going to be like, – the competitors themselves feel like if they can get down a little bit lower that they can be more competitive there. Um, maybe they're going to hit harder. Maybe they'll be faster or whatever whatever it may be. Um, what the, the ultimate answer is, I don't know. But maybe there is some sort of weight certification program that needs to start uh, coming to fruition what, based off of body fats, certain – times out and things like that i know that one fc came up with some things last year or whatever it was and i i'll be honest i haven't followed up how is that working as far as i know it seems to be working pretty well but you know the thing is is you know there's because i don't think there's a lot of a ton of coverage out there on it that you, you don't really see much i mean it's i i'm all about what what can we do to make the fires as healthy as possible and i think that you know, maybe part of this is just getting rid of some of the drastic weight cuts. I mean, you talk about the sport being mainstream. I did not think I was going to wake up on Monday morning and know that MMA got mentioned during the Golden Globe Awards. <laughs> well, yeah. See, you know, <laughs> here's the way I look at it. And I've always said this, you know, and, and I understand why MMA fans got upset. And I really understand why, why fighters got, got upset about what was said. But the one thing I've always talked about is not everyone is going to be a fan of MMA. It, it's not one of those sports where 
you can kind of be in between. You're either all in or you're not. It's just some people just don't like fighting. You know, and and being involved in the NFL, there's people that know what I do, and they really, you know, they'll, they'll ask me, hey, what's going on? But then there's other people, you know, who, who don't care for it. And for some reason, like, there seems to be a, a percentage of the fan base out there that just can't understand that there's some people who don't care for fighting. Well, I, I think, you know, obviously you're talking about the Meryl Street comments, and, you know, I think that's got to be taken with a grain of salt. We all have opinions. Um regardless of what it, what those opinions are based on we all have opinions and our opinions are never going to uh, uh match up with everybody else's opinions it's just the way the world works and you know Merrill obviously has her uh feelings on the new president elect and and you know that's kind of bold you know domino effect into you know arts and whether or not mixed martial arts is really an art, but you know Cody Bollinger, uh, you know he made a comment that really kind of struck home. I don't see too many, uh, I don't see too many actors trying to get into MMA. Uh, you know, we, we had one attempt to do that, and uh, I don't think that went so well against Mickey Gall. Um, <laughs> you, know you know we're going to see him again. <laughs> I, I'm sure we are, but you do see MMA fighters going into the the acting world all of the time whether it's to be a stunt double or whatever else it is so you can say it's not an art all you want and everybody can get all upset because meryl street some person who most of the people that are worked up about it don't even know who she is (laughs) um you know they're just upset about she got some publicity because she said something negative about mma um you know at, at the end of the day it's just another person's opinion, and it really means nothing. And to me, I, I really didn't see the outrage from for the football community. I, I, you know, and maybe there was. I just didn't see it. Obviously, I see much more of it, um, you know, from from the MMA community out there. And you know, whether you know, it, it, if she doesn't like MMA, it doesn't bother me. Just because, it, as I said, this is a sport that either you like it or you don't. There's, there's usually uh, not somebody in between. But I, I think probably what probably rubs a lot of people the wrong way is she comes i i don't i don't know how educated she truly is in ma outside of maybe she just flipped through the channels and you know maybe maybe it was a fight that you know both guys were, were pretty bloody and maybe that's why she has the opinion she has of it sure i mean and mma can give that appearance and you know we can all have our own opinions about the movies that she's been in i couldn't name you one of them right now so I can't really give you a good opinion. I can't either. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, I would expect that people in her family and in her inner circle would be offended at, at me saying I can't name one movie she's yeah. been in. You know, it's just, you know, everybody's going to have a different opinion on everything and people's opinions are never taken lightly. The, the whole moral of her whole speech had nothing to do with MMA and football. It had all about making a political statement. And, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it I doesn't mean, bother it, me any. It, it just it surprises me how worked up people. I mean, I, I could see fighters. I, you know, understand, I would understand why they would get worked up. But when I saw fans getting worked up about it, I'm like, uh, okay, you know, I'm like, it's not it's not a surprising comment that you know someone does, doesn't like the sport come out it's just kind of like hey, there's there's bigger things to talk about i mean i i, I mean look you're you, you you are a matchmaker 
I mean, let's look at the Jimmy Rivera situation. I mean, how, I mean, you're Mick Maynard and, and Sean Shelby, and you have a fighter says, okay, you know what? Okay, Brian Caraway's out. We'll we'll take on Marlon Vera, and then a day later he says, uh, no, I'm I'm not going to take this fight. You know, he, he said that he didn't want to bully some guy. Um, you know, and prior to him pulling out of this fight, you know, people would ask me what I thought about it. I said, I go, you know. Does it do anything for Jimmy Rivera in terms of rankings? No, but if he needs a payday, you got to fight. But from a matchmaker's aspect, I mean, that's got to be just frustrating to have a guy take a fight and then all of a sudden a day later say, no, I'm not going to take it. You know, from what I understand, he even signed a contract. Um, You know, that's something that uh, it's not going to help him in the future. Uh, You know, Sean and... And Mick and those guys, they're not going to do him any favors in the future. But if I had to take a pretty good stab at it, and I'll, I'll say from close experience um, working with his camp in the in in the past, um, my guess is that him and his management uh, picked that particular fight. They probably had an option or two. They picked that particular fight, and then when he went and talked to his coaches, their coaches were adamantly against it. And at that point in time, what do you do? Alienate the people that are training you or alienate the UFC? And ultimately, he probably chose the decision not to alienate the people that were training him and came up with the story about not bullying people. And I believe uh, John Dotson was actually the other option that was there for him. Um, that's that's what I understand. And, and still, I mean, look, a, a win over John Dotson, it's not like John Dotson's ranked ahead of him. He, you know, he, he wants to fight guys. Uh, that are ranked ahead of him, I, you know. I, I think if you're Jimmy Rivera at this point, you got to be almost sitting there, maybe hoping that one of these top bantamweights, uh, you know, pulls out of a fight here, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, and you step up in that opportunity. I mean, I'll say this with with this Sunday's UFC card, I just, I'm not excited to watch the main event. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, and that's what's ha- that that's what happens. You know, we had. We had several really strong cards put together there in a row, and 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 now you have some that you know are going to be a little bit less than desired, and that that's just what happens when you put on a really really strong card. You have to be able to follow it up, and it's not always easy to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing when I I think about the UFC in, in 2017 is, you know, what, what's that fight on the horizon that is just going to get a ton of people excited? I mean. You know, the UFC 209 main event and co-main event looking really sure. good. Woodley and Thompson, Nermaka Madoff, and Ferguson. But are those two fights that are going to get the casual MMA fan base to, you know, and really put up that pay-per-view buy rate? No. But you, but you know, uh, and that, and you're exactly right. And I'm a diehard fan. And when I saw that the uh, Woodley Thompson two was on, and we knew that Ferguson and uh, Khabib were on. I immediately went to the Wikipedia page to see what other fights were on that card, and I said, oh, I don't know that I would pay for that pay-per-view. Those are two really great fights, but what else is supporting that card? Yeah, Mersad Bektik is on there against Darren Elkins, and that's always great to see those guys scrap. That's a pretty good fight, but to the average fan, I mean... I mean, I, I, I've I've had a couple people ask me, and they're like, "Sell me on UFC 208, and why I should pay sixty bucks?" And you know, look, I'm not in the business to be, hey, everything that UFC does is great. I, I can't sell that pay per view for sixty bucks. Right. I mean, you well, might as, you might as well get like five friends together and all chip in ten dollars. 
do that or go to your local Buffalo Wild Wings. That's what I'm going to do. I love me some wings. But I think what you're seeing happening, and at least here in the Tampa Bay area where I live, you're you're seeing less and less bars showing UFC pay-per-views because, A, they're not cheap for the bar to buy. Correct. It's it's not cheap. People think people see that you know a UFC is you know sixty bucks or whatever, and they just automatically assume that's what a bar has to pay for it too, or maybe twice that. No, that's not accurate. Bars are paying thousands of dollars to yeah, show I mean, these pay per views. It's, it's based off a of square foot and occupancy and things like that. It's there's a lot of variables that go into it, and they pay a lot of money. I mean, if you're talking for a place that sits around two hundred people, you're talking about usually around a thousand dollars. Yep. And, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, the bar's got to make money. You know, people have to come out. And, you know, a, a Ronda fight's going to draw people. A Connor fight, obviously, is going to draw a ton of people. And, you know, that was kind of, you know, the question I put out on social media a couple of days ago. I said, I go, you know, Ronda, or Connor clearly is number one star. Ronda, number two. If you want to say John Jones is number three, but, you know, we're not going to see John Jones till at least July. I go, who's the number four drawing power in the UFC? I don't think there's a clear answer. I mean, I, I no. understand why people would say Nate Diaz, but is Nate Diaz a draw without Conor McGregor? I don't I don't think so. You know, was Nate Diaz a draw before Conor McGregor? No. You know, they, they had two exciting fights. Um, does does that make him a, a draw unless he's fighting another big name? I don't I don't think so. Conor McGregor can go out there and fight a fan in the stands, and he's still going to draw a ridiculous amount of pay-per-views. You know, it's just, I mean, it's crazy that you talk about drawing power. Is number four CM Punk? I, I After his last performance, I, I think that, you know, people have... Uh, I'm trying to be politically correct. I, I feel like people have gone to the circus and they've prayed, they've they they paid the four dollars to go inside the tent and see the uh, bearded lady, and and they've walked out. But that was they they should have never done that fight. <laughs> yeah, you know, because uh, Scott Mickey everyone, Mickey Gall is legit. <laughs> exactly, everyone I had talked to, leading through that entire process, had, had the one constant thing I kept hearing was. Look, Mickey Gall was eventually getting to the UFC. It wasn't a question of if. Everyone saw the talent in him. And it's just one of those things of the fight that probably the UFC should have done was the Mike Jackson fight. Sure. And, uh, you know, that might have been a competitive fight. And I, I don't want to sit here and take anything away from CM Punk. He's not a young pup. He's been doing acting but very athletic acting and you know he challenged himself to do something that most people couldn't do mm-hmm. um but this is the ufc this is the highest level there is possible and it's just it it's hard to compete at this level i mean there's guys that never get to the ufc that are scary scary individuals yeah. and you know cm punk he put in the time he went up to rufus port he was training and he was training hard he's just not that level yeah. You give credit to any any fighter that steps in into that cage because you you have to have, you know you have to have a lot of guts in there. I mean, you know, you have been a matchmaker on the that quote unquote regional scene. You know, sure. what are things that you look for to see whether you believe that that fighter has uh, that ceiling to to make it to the top levels? Uh, 
Um, you know, for me, it's a lot of the mental side of it. You know, you look at the to me, I look at variables that other people might not be looking at. I'm not looking at knockouts. I'm not looking at, and that got me in trouble, by the way. I'm not looking at knockouts. I'm not looking at submissions. I'm not looking at necessarily performances against other people. It's kind of that look in their eye. It's whether or not they give up in certain situations. It's whether or not they're pushing through things that other people wouldn't push through, it's it's some of their professionalism, but it's 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 variables that you just can't see. Um, you know, for example, Tim Elliott. Um, he he's a guy that when I contacted him uh, about, <laughs> I didn't even know he was a fighter. Um, you know, I knew that he was a local wrestler here in the area, and I knew what his mentality was as far as a wrestler. In, in the Midwest, and uh, I said, man, that's a guy that should be fighting, and I look him up, and lo and behold, he's one, two, and one as a pro fighter, I'm like, how is this possible, but I hit him up, and I'm like, hey, uh, you know, do you want to continue to fight, and then uh, sooner or later, Jen's pulver opportunity came up, he jumped on it, you know, just because what his record was at that one time doesn't make who he is as a fighter. It just means he didn't have the training that he needed to be at that level. And we all saw in the first round against Demetrius Johnson what Tim Elliott truly can be. Um, you know, it's the same type of things with with fighters and prospects. You know, prospects can be seven and zero fighting guys with a combined record of a one and thirty eight. That doesn't really tell me anything. Um, it, it's it's the uh, the the ability to it's a mindset really it's seeing the mindset in the fighter it's something you mentioned there and you talk about you're not necessarily looking at knockout submissions you know and there have been you know and i think if you look at the at the ufc and even bellator you know they're, they're looking for fighters who can go out and finish fights i mean you look at bell you know bellator's mindset's a little different than the ufc i mean bellator's a television show you know they're trying to put on the the most entertaining product possible the UFC is just trying to sign the best fighters in the world. But, you know, I, I think of a guy that I think I, I would like to see in the UFC, but it, it hasn't happened for him, and it's because of the amount of decisions. It's a guy that you're familiar with and Andre Harrison, sure. who, who's now in the World Series of Fighting. He got a stoppage victory uh, in his WSOF debut, and if I was a World Series of Fighting, I would book Andre Harrison against Lance Palmer right now and, and make that fight. But But he's a guy that because of the amount of decisions – the UFC is kind of not exactly wanting to be in that business. Sure. And that's because this is an entertainment business. And like I said, it got me in trouble uh, before I was in RFA. You know, our, our finish rate when I was matchmaking for the RFA wasn't exactly the, the highest finish rate. And maybe that's because the fights were a little bit too competitive. Um but maybe it was because the fighters were too competitive, and I don't think that's such a bad thing. You look at a guy like Andre Harrison, and sure, he's not getting finishes, and what's the thought that's going through Sean Shelby's mind? Well, he if he can't finish guys outside of the UFC, how is he going to finish guys inside the UFC? Well, let's look at who he is fighting. He's fighting guys that are good enough to be in the UFC already, and He's fighting guys that have already had their cup of tea in the UFC and been successful, like Steven Seiler and some of those guys. You know, Andre Harrison is easily beating those guys. And uh, maybe the finishes aren't always presenting themselves, but he's not losing to those guys. He could just as easily go out there and fight on local shows against five and eight pros and finish those guys all day long easily. 
But that's not what he's doing. He's challenging himself and he's making himself better. So maybe his path and his road is a little bit longer. But I suspect that his career within the UFC is going to be longer. And one of the things that I think in, you know, you I do get the sense and, and I get to interview fighters that, you know, fight in, in various promotions uh, across the United States. And I, I think there's there, there's definitely a lot of different thought processes you hear out there. You hear, you know, some fighters are like, you know what, I, I'm taking my time. You know, I want to make sure that, you know, when that UFC offer gets there, that I stay there because the, the last thing, you know, journeyman is not exactly the greatest uh, term that you want uh, attached to your name. You know, if you get to the UFC, you're released, and now it can be just as hard to get back to the UFC uh, because of that. But then you also hear, you know, some fighters who are trying to to rush themselves. For you, with your view of the sport, is there a right way to view this? I think every situation is probably different. You have a lot of guys that are giving up, and that's that's the difficult part of this this business is that the regional shows aren't paying enough money for fighters to fight full time and uh you know god i wish that we could find a way to change that but that's not reality right now fighters can't survive making eight thousand dollars a year fighting four times you know and and by eight thousand dollars a year i mean fighting for one and one four times a year you know it's just it's just not doable but one and one on a local show is not bad pay no and and that's why i think that I think for a lot of fans, because you don't see the the reported pays for uh, shows outside of, of the UFC, Bellator, and the World Series of Fighting, that a lot of fans don't really know what the pay is like. I mean, when you hear something where you know a guy's getting three thousand a show, three thousand to win, or, or maybe even upwards of five thousand show, five thousand win, you're like, oh my god, that guy's doing yeah. great on the regional scene. Oh yeah, he's doing phenomenal. I mean, uh, you and I were talking about this before, about uh, the Russian organization that's coming over and throwing that show in California uh, this weekend. And some of the the, the, the pays that we, we've heard are are potentially being out there are, you know, four and four or five and five type pay. And I can tell you the uneducated fan is going to think that's ridiculous when they see – those types of pay being released because how's a fighter supposed to survive on making $8,000 for one fight? Well, they're not. They're all fighting for the possibility to get to the UFC someday and make Conor McGregor money. Yeah, I mean, and it's... It's one of those things of, you know, and I've had people ask me in the past, like, well, why don't you put in a public record request for, you know, a show not named UFC Bellator World Series of Fighting? And I said, I go, really, it's not... I go, it's going to look like I'm trying to be negative on that promotion. Sure. You know, I mean, it could be sitting there going out there and saying, hey, I'm, I'm trying to report on what's going on, but ultimately it's going to look it look bad as I'm trying to basically, you know, say, hey, you know, XYZ promotion is not paying their fighters well. Um, you know, and so that's why personally I don't do it. I mean, obviously you hear the stories of what guys are getting paid, but then there's also there's part of me that's like, if I was in the fighter's shoes, would I want what I made public knowledge? Um, you know, I think some don't care. I think some might think that that might help them get more money in the future. But I'll tell you, as a local promoter, um, to throw a pro show is not cheap. 
um, you know, the expenses that go into throwing a show, the, the production, the sound and light, the paying the commission, the paying for the insurance, the paying for the doctor, the timekeeper, the referees, the judges, the paying, the, the paying for the EMT, the police to be there, um, you know, the paying for the posters and the promotions and paying for the fight cards and paying for, I mean, the, the, the concession food and paying, paying your workers that are helping you. Like these all might sound like minute little amounts, but it is crazy expensive to give pro fighters an opportunity to fight. Mm-hmm. And promoters aren't in this getting rich. I can tell you that right now. There's promotion promoters on big shows that are losing money to provide these opportunities. Um, you know, it's it's just the way that this business is. You know, if if a local show is selling 600 tickets, they're not doing a bad job. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, but it, it goes to that fact of you know, as a local promoter, you're trying to find those guys. Uh, no matter what the record is, whether it's a great record or or an average record, that know how to put butts in the seats. Yep, absolutely. You know, I, I it's like a couple weeks ago I talked about this um, on, on the American Report podcast. A couple weeks ago, I uh, I happened to see a a matchmaker talking about a fighter who decided for whatever reason to go on Facebook and basically say, I'm done being a local ticket seller. And I go, dude, that is career suicide. Because if you're a promoter and you sit there and you see a fire says, I have no interest in in selling tickets, like your value, like what it's one of those things of, and this is why you have to have good management um, in in this game. And I'm sitting there going, if I'm his manager, I'm going, dude, erase that immediately. Yeah. Well, Let's look at Conor McGregor's example that he's provided. Conor McGregor does everything he can to put butts in seats. You know why? Because it makes him more money. And it's the same way on the local level. A fighter that can go out and sell 200 tickets is going to make more money than a fighter that goes out and sells five tickets. Mm -hmm. I don't care what their record is. You can have the, the top prospect in the world sell zero tickets, he's going to make less than the two and two pro fighter that sold 400 tickets. You know, it's just, it's just the way that this business works. You make us money, we pay you more. Yeah. It's, it's, it's simple economics. Yep. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, that's why I like, I look at the world series of fighting and God bless these fighters for making the amount of money they are. But I, I, you know, Marlon Moraes is now a free agent, and, and I've said this, Marlon Moraes, if you want to fight in the UFC, you ready to take a pay cut? Well, I, and in the beginning, that's exactly what it's going to be. I mean, he's not going to. I don't know what his last reported pay was, like sixty-five and sixty-five or something crazy like that. He's not coming into the UFC making that money. No, and. And you're not getting your sponsorships like you were before. So you're, you're coming in making $2,500 from Reebok, and that's your sponsorship money. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I look at him and I say, if you're the UFC, I think the most, and I don't think they, they would start at this number, but I think the most they would offer him is 40000 to show, 40000 to win. But Why? But why? I mean, who's who is he in the whole grand? And no offense to him, he's a great fighter. But who is he in the whole grand scheme of things? When you can go to Brazil, or you can mm-hmm. go to Asia, or you can go to any gym in America and find fighters with a similar record, and pay them twelve and twelve. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I mean, the one thing I say about Marlon Moraes is talent-wise, I believe he's a top-ten fighter. Sure. But his resume doesn't say top-ten fighter no. based on who he's beaten. No. I mean, I, I look at his resume, I go, who's his best win? Is it Josh Hill? <laughs> I don't know that that's uh, – in... <laughs> probably, yeah. You know, and – but that, that's, I mean, is. that's, you know, it's its great that they're making all that money in the World Series of Fighting. From a business sense, I don't understand how the World Series of Fighting can justify those costs. You know, you um, go back maybe to World Series of Fighting 1. I think it was the first WSOF1 when he fought Miguel Torres. Um, was that the first show, I think? Yeah, yeah, that was the first show. You know, they brought Miguel in to be their big star. You know, he was doing their pre... The, he was doing... Yeah, he was at the press conference when they announced World Series of Fighting. So, you know, Miguel had a huge WEC record, but, um, you know, then again, who was Miguel's biggest win against? Yeah, I mean, it, but, you know, unfortunately for Ronald Race, you're not going to know how good he is. I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, I mean, Justin Gaethje, who I think is one of the most exciting fighters to watch. Um, I, I, I would hope that if he ultimately does get into the UFC that, you know, he doesn't uh, – he doesn't take as much hits as he takes right now. Um, you sure. know, I mean, he was losing that fight um, against Firmino. It just and, and the sure. doctor stops. But the that's fight. the that's the style that that has gotten him to where he's at, and that's the style that has gotten him the fans that he's had. He's the type of guy that maybe he's not. Maybe he takes a huge pay cut to go to the UFC, but it's not going to take him long to become one of the more popular fighters in the UFC because how exciting he fights. You know, you, you can look at Leonard Garcia. I mean, he's a prime example. I don't yeah. even know what his record is over his last 10 fights, but people love to watch him fight. Oh, you tell me Leonard Garcia's fighting. I'm tuning on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, Justin I mean, Gaethje is the same way, except he's got more talent at this point. As long as they're not putting Leonard Garcia against the wrestler, then it's just like, oh, <laughs> you know. I mean, because sometimes you sure. – I, I mean, you see it. Uh, you, know, what, you know, no matter whether we're talking about a big promotion or small promotion, if you know the fighters and – you know, one fighter is a very exciting striker, and then you see that they're fighting a wrestler, and you're like, "Oh man, this has a recipe for just you know to, to not exactly be that exciting fight." Right? No, it, it happens all the time, and I think, I think as a matchmaker, I think, and you know, I, I learned from my own failures, but I think as a matchmaker, I think there's times um, where we get so excited just to make a fight, just to get somebody on the fight. Um, just to get a fight that in our head seems like a great fight on paper that we don't slow down and take a look at what the fight is in real life. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a mistake that, that, uh, you know, I think all matchmakers have made in their lifetime. It's, it, it, it's just like poker or anything else. You got to be patient. The right thing's going to come to you eventually. You know, and I think the other thing, and, and I guess you probably dealt with this more when it when it came to RFA as as, as opposed to Titan, Titan for a little bit. But you know, you're you're kind of I, I guess you have to put two different matchmaker hats on. You've got one matchmaker where you're trying to put together an entertaining TV card, which is going to be high quality fights, but then you're also got a preliminary card that you're trying to get butts in the seats. Sure. Um, you know, for me, um, I. I I really struggled with that um, because for me, I was matchmaking as a fan. Um, and I think that I had a lot of success putting on some great fights doing it that way. 
but that also came at the sacrifice of potential seats, uh, butts in those seats and ticket sales and, uh, uh, revenue that the organizations could have been making. Um, it, you know, it's a fine line. You got to walk. Um, you know, for me, the, the first fight on the card was no less important to me than the main event. Um, I treated each and every fight as if it was the main event. I would get just as upset if I lost the first fight of the night as if I lost the main event. And I would get just as excited for making the first fight of the night as I would the main event. Um, you know, to me, that was a downfall because it did cost us ticket sales, I'm sure of it. But at the same time, it made the fights exciting. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the, the thought process I've heard throughout covering the sport and, and talking to people on the local scene is, you know, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta be smart with your huge ticket sellers. Yep. Because you you don't I mean you're trying to build them up to continue to get those ticket sales because you don't want them to go in there and, and get their butts handed to them and then all of a sudden maybe they sell 200 tickets but their next fight they only sell 50. Well. You know, uh, uh, Dakota Cochran's the perfect example. I don't know what his record was early on in the R- in RFA. He was the local ticket draw early in RFA, and he was on several of the early cards. And I think he started out like 0-3 in RFA. Um, you know, he, he, he struggled in the beginning. He had tough fights. You know, his first fight was Ramiko Blackman. You know, he just had tough fights, and, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to make a fight as a matchmaker. I don't think you ever want to make a fight where you know the outcome. Um, but at the same time, it's got to be in the back of your mind. This guy just sold, sold me two hundred tickets. How do how do how do I get you know make that a fifty fifty fight? Maybe I should make it a sixty forty fight. Maybe I should make it a seventy thirty fight. You know, it's 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 a hard game to play, and you know it's trying to be honest with yourself, but also trying to be honest to the organization. And that's a really hard thing to do. And Dakota's a guy who's very quietly has put on a great run here. He's won nine Man. of his last 10. He just got a, a win over Jake Lindsay. At a second win over Jake yeah. Lindsay. And, a very know, tough Jake Lindsay. And he told me, because yeah, I talked to him before that fight, he said, my days at 155 are over. He goes, I'm not oh, doing yeah. that cut anymore. I'm, I'm a 170 er He was the biggest 55-er I think I'd ever seen. I mean, and I'm sure you, you've got countless stories. I mean, there's certain fighters you look at and you're like, how does that fighter make the weight they're fighting at? You know, um, you know, I think a lot of people, um, uh, 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 Gleison Tebow, I I think is one guy you point to goes, how does that guy make 155? Um, yeah, absolutely huge. I've had a chance to be around Douglas Lima a couple of times. I don't know how Douglas makes 170. I mean, you know, he's he's somebody that had been put out there on that potential rumor to be on the next Ultimate Fighter show. How in the world is he supposed to make uh, 170 for six weeks? No, that'd be, his, that no that'd be his brother, Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, but he's still huge. Yeah, I mean, and, but that's the thing. It's interesting, you know, with the Ultimate Fighter, that's – and obviously you, you are close with Tim Elliott – um, you know, in Tim's, you know, a very big 125-er, and, and that's kind of the, the storyline with the Ultimate Fire that people really don't talk about is the toll it takes on a fire's body when you're having to make that weight, you know, potentially, you know, four or five times over a six or seven-week period. Yeah. No, it, it's, it, I mean, even making weight, 
even making weight for the Demetrius Johnson fight wasn't easy for him. Um, and, you know, the older you get, the harder it gets. And, uh, you know, it, it goes right back to, to the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about weight cuts. What do you do about it? What can you do? You know, Tim Elliott goes out there and puts on a show against Demetrius Johnson. Does he really move up to 135 now, or does he try to continue to climb up the ranks at 125? Because how long is it going to take him to climb the ranks at 35? Yeah, I mean, you know, we it's actually, a difficult decision now. Yeah, we actually got that question uh, from Adam Martin, you know, seeing if you had any insight of what was next for Tim. Well, you know, I... I uh, I coach wrestling with Tim Elliott. Uh, we coach some some youth kids, and he uh, he took a little bit of time uh, and spent some time with family and things like that. I think ideally he would love to fight at 135. Is that what's best for his career at this point? I don't know. You know, um, there there was the I, I know that him and Brad Pickett kind of went back and forth a little bit on Twitter there. I think, and and Brad Pickett said he'd be willing to dance with Tim. So. Um, you know, whether that comes to fruition, who knows? Fight I would love to see is him versus Ian McCall. I'd love to see One, him. just seeing Ian McCall fight at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy just can't catch a break. I, I, I remember yeah. I did an interview with Ian a couple uh, – it was before he was supposed to fight the last time. And uh, we were talking about the, the UFC 203 situation. And he, and I was like, I was like who, who comes in and, and tells you that – FYI, hey, your fight's not going to happen. Your opponent's off the fight card. And he said it was his coach's manager. And he said, he goes, they came in my room late at night. He goes, it was clear they were out drinking. And he goes, when they told me, I thought they were screwing with me. And I basically told him, says, if you're lying to me, I'm going to punch you in the face. And uh, and they're like, no, the fight's off. I mean, and that's, I mean, I'm sure you've had to make those at some point, that, that conversation where you have to go to a fighter and say, hey, you know, for whatever reason, the fight's not happening. Yeah, I, uh, um, you know, way back early RFA days, Marie Smith, the old Marie Smith, you know, his opponent makes weight. They do the face-offs. His opponent gets scared, goes home. You know, how do you go and tell, uh, you know, how do you go and tell a, a former UFC champ that's 50 years old that just trained his ass off that your opponent that that, that is a bounty hunter that uh, is chiseled is too scared to fight you. I mean, you, you know, and it seems like you hear more of those stories kind of on the amateur scene side of things where, you know, you know, things kind of happen. I mean, you know, I don't know if you saw the story that, that came out on Bloody Elbow that was about Mark De La Rosa. You know, he gave his side to the whole, you know, situation. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, typically I think in those sides of the story, you, you say there's a fighter side of the story, there's a promoter side of the story. Um, and most likely the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but you know, obviously that's a situation now, if you're, uh, if you're Ed Soares with, with LFA, you have to look at that situation and say, okay, you, you probably have to pick up the phone if you're him and, and start kind of figuring out exactly what happened here. And, you know, because these are type of stories that I think that promotions need to get in front of more than they currently do. Sure. Um, you know, and, and what people don't understand is, is fight week is stressful for for a promoter, for a matchmaker, for everybody involved in the show. The most stressful part of the show is fight week. It's getting people checked in. It's doing the hotels. It's doing, uh, you know, making them show up for their video footage and their photography and and getting quotes and doing all those things and 
you understand these small promotions, they don't have a hundred employees doing everything. Mm-hmm. So the stress mounts up and, uh, sometimes it's hard to stay on top of everything. Um, you know, I, I can't really blame anybody. It's just, there, it's hard to get in front of something when you're already chasing your own tail. I mean, that, that article that's on Bloody Elbow, the thing that, and, you know, when all that that went down, I wouldn't say that I, I, I mean, I heard about it, but didn't, you know, truly follow up with the story. But then I read that article on Bloody Elbow, and I'm sitting there going, why is a play-by-play announcer talking about calling <laughs> the fighter and trying to get him to fight? I'm like, yeah. that is not your place. No, it's, uh, and, you know, Pat and and Pat is old school, and I, I, you you know he rubs off on Michael quite a bit. You know, um, nobody wants to see you know for shows like RFA and Legacy and now LFA and things like that. You know, Pat and Michael feel like they're part of the team. The Cutman feels like they're a part of the team. It is a small family, so they don't necessarily feel like they're out of their they're out of the their own for reaching out and doing those things. Is it appropriate? Probably not. No. But is that what's going through their mind at the time? No, they're trying to help save a fight. You know, they're they're That's what they're trying to do. And maybe, maybe it coming from somebody like Pat or whomever, you know, maybe that's more important than hearing it from the promoter who the fighter just thinks is trying to make a buck off of them. Um, but you it was it was it was Chavello, it wasn't Pat, which it, it was going, Chavello. It it was Chavello, yes. But but I mean This is my thing. Unless that play by play announcer is an executive with that promotion, you should it, it just I don't I don't understand what you think is positive going to come out of that. Well I think in I think in Chavello's mind at that point in time, he's just trying to help He's trying to help keep a fight, and and like I said, those I, I was a part of that, you know. Um, the the play by co- uh, commentators, the the cameramen, the producers, it's a small family, and you feel like part of the of the family. I mean, Dave Maldonado, the cut man, he feels like part of the family. Mike Kendall, the the announcer, he feels like part of the family. Um, these guys build relationships with everybody, with the fighters, with the other people of the team and things like that. It's not like the UFC. Um, so looking at it from the perspective of is it the right thing? Well, no, obviously it's not the right thing. But looking at it from the perspective that I've had inside that arena, um, Michael wasn't in his head doing anything wrong. He was just trying to help. But the, you know, but those are type of situations in terms of missing weight and everything that goes on there. I, you know, if you're three and a half pounds over, then you move the scale somewhere else and magically somewhere you're, else. you're on yeah. weight. Uh, I mean, there's uh, a whole lot of fishiness going in the, into that. They said he went upstairs, he took a hot bath, he came down, and mysteriously somehow he's on weight. You know, yeah, yeah. I would be the last person to question Pat Militage, and I think it was Pat that said he was standing right there when, when, when he when he stepped on the scale, but. With that said, you know, everybody else stepped on the scale on the stage. The scale should stay on the stage. The, it, so. But it's also, I look at it and go, where is the commission in all this? Yeah. You know, well, I, I've been at these shows where, you know, you, you see things happen with, with weigh-ins where, you know, fires make way. And in, in the way I look at it always when it comes to, to weigh-in is, you sign a contract to make a, make a weight. It's, it's your job to make that weight. That's, that's part of the fight. 
you know, and, and it absolutely is. You know, and, and, and you know, we're seeing guys not make weight more and more and more now. And I know that you have brought up, um, you know, maybe it's the early weigh-in thing. Maybe it's this, maybe that. I, I, it's the culture. It's truly the culture. And you see things on the amateur level. You see things on the pro level. It's becoming socially acceptable to not make weight. It never used to be socially acceptable. You would, you would be afraid to show your face in front of your parents if you didn't make weight. Now people are making excuses for it and they're sympathizing with it. Um, you know, people are backing out of fights because they stubbed their toe on the, the bathroom toilet, you know, and that's socially acceptable. I mean, Why is this that? is fighting <laughs> because there's so many sympathizers out there. Uh, there's so many Meryl streets of the world out there. Uh, it's, it's, it's poor Johnny and it's not, dude, what's wrong with you? Uh, you know, it's socially acceptable. Uh, these f- these fighters, these amateur fighters, and these uh, and and these young pros coming up, they've seen their coaches miss weight. They've seen their coaches back out of fights. And guess what? All of a sudden, it's ingrained in their head that that's okay. And, you know, you can talk about early weigh-ins, you can talk about late weigh-ins, you can talk about scales getting moved all you want. It comes. It all boils down to personal responsibility, and that's something that this world is starting to lack. Yeah, it's just, you know, I never blame a fighter who, when his opponent misses away, says, I'm not taking the fight. You know, I don't blame a fighter for not doing that. I mean, but, you know, still, you know, you know the fighter got, has got to get paid. As a promoter, you want to—you don't want to see that happen. Oh yeah, but yeah. I can—I can say over the last five years, the the sport has changed tremendously as far as—I uh, don't even know if I can say this word, so I'm not going to say. It. Uh, <laughs> the wussification. <laughs> I think that, everyone that, knows what you mean. That—that—that yes. that, that is going on in the sport. It's uh, uh, you know five just five years ago, you didn't see it near as bad as you do today. And, you know, you're seeing the same guys miss weight over and over and over again, Johnny Hendricks. Uh, you know what? It, it used to be you missed weight once, and you were shunned by your team. You were shunned by your family. You were shunned by everybody because, you know what? You're a pro. You have a job to do. And even on the amateur level, you don't do that because you've seen the example from your leaders. And where are the leaders today? Yeah, I, that's the problem. Let me get your thoughts on this. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, is talking about is adding weight classes to MMA. Basically, there being a 10, 10 pound difference uh, from you know one twenty five up to uh, you know one eighty five, potentially a one hundred ninety five pound weight class as well. For you, as someone who's been involved in this game for a long time, do, do you like the thought process of? You know, adding 165, eliminating 170, adding 175, and adding 195. I personally, I like the idea. At the same time, I feel like you can make the weight classes as close as you want to. It's not going to it's not going to stop people from dodging people. It's not going to stop people from thinking that if they go lower, they'll be better. And the only way that you really get around that is to come up with a true weight certification program. And I don't know how that's done. And evidently nobody knows how's that, how that's done accurately. People will point to wrestlers have the best knowledge of cutting weight. Is that a good or bad thing, though? It's a bad thing. Um, you know, I, I am a wrestler. or I came from a wrestling background. I wrestled my whole life. And uh, 
the way that I cut weight is the worst way possible to cut weight. And unfortunately, a lot of wrestlers are that way. You know, they're used to making weight three, four times a week, not three, four times a year. And so their methods of cutting weight are stupid <laughs> because they the way they're making weight is a different it's it's completely different altogether so they're not maintaining weight they're they're cutting absorbent amounts of weight at the last second because that's what they've done their whole career and they've become accustomed to making weight over and over and over again so they have this thought process in their head that i can be within this amount of weight by this time and this amount of weight by that time but your body changes and as you get older, it gets more difficult, and the frame of mind doesn't change. It's it, it's the downfall to Johnny Hendricks. It's the exact problem that he's facing. You know, he's made weight so many times in his life in wrestling, whether it be college, whether it be high school, whether it be youth. I hope not in youth, but he's made weight so many times that he has ingrained in his head that his way is going to work. That's why he's gone through. Dolce and and Patino or whoever he's gone through, Lou or or whoever he's been going through, he's gone through multiple nutritionists. He, I guarantee you, he's not listening to them. He's doing things his own way. Yeah, I know that that's kind of a point that uh, Sam Kaplan brought up on, on social media a couple of days ago. Uh, you know, in terms of you know people want to when a fighter misses weight and it's known they work with whatever nutri nutritionist that they want, they immediately want to jump on that nutritionist, but sure. you know, and, and the nutritionist is never going to come out and bash their fighter. You know, no, they, it, it's not good. Why for their would business. they do that? This is terrible for business. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, but it's, do you, do you stick to it? I mean, I, I, and one, one of the things that I believe is truly unfair is that people, when they see fighters today, missing weight, they automatically go, Oh, that's a USADA effect. Unless you're in that camp, you don't know, what no. factors are going into whether a fire makes or cannot make weight? Has USADA played a huge effect? I think so, probably. Um, you know, I I can't begin to to point out people that uh, um, have had some physical appearance changes and say <laughs> that it's it's because of USADA. But as it played a role, I guarantee it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, but I think it's across the board. Across I mean, board. you 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 hear even I mean. Outside the UFC, you hear there are states that are, are doing more drug testing now than, say, they were even 12 months ago. Sure. Um, and then you have states that are doing drug testing and realizing that more people are failing those drug tests than anticipated, and they're stopping the drug testing. And that's – and that's I, I, the one thing I've always said is I, I think that if you – did legit drug testing on the racial scene. I think the numbers will be astronomical. Uh, it, it was, it, it's bad. It's know. bad. But why are we, t never mind. <laughs> why, why, why are we testing for recreational use? Why aren't we testing for PEDs? Uh, that's a, you know, very good point. Cause the regional scene is not testing for PEDs. They're testing for recreational use. Yeah, there's, and, there's, and, and what is that solving, really? In in the whole scheme of things, what is that solving? No, it, it's solving nothing. I mean, you, you should be drug testing for steroids, testosterone. But um, guess how much those tests cost? Yeah, I mean, there's. I've heard some things where some of those tests are not as expensive as they once were. Um, sure. But, you know, I mean, I, I know here where I live in the state of Florida, the only time they're required to do a drug test is if it's for title fights. No, and it and, doesn't matter what we're talking. It's a UFC show, Bellator show, 
or just a, a, a regional show throughout the state, if there's a title fight on it, there has to be drug testing. And I believe Colorado is the same way, or at least it was at one point, I believe, is title fights were drug tests only. Were the only ones drug tested. And, you know, and, and that goes back to unified rules. Nothing is unified in the sport. No. The cage it, size, the drug testing, the physical requirements. You heard everybody bitch about uh, the requirements for New York. Maybe those are the right requirements. But if they were the requirements for all 50 states, you wouldn't hear the complaining and bitching, and you'd have something uniform. But California is different than Nevada, and Nevada is different than New York, and New York's different than Missouri, and Missouri's different than Florida, and so on and so forth. There's nothing universal about the sport. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in the other side of it, and, and you know this very well, is that you know every executive director in the 50 states are not on the same page. No, you know, not you, at all. You have, I think you probably have 35 to 40 that are on the same page, and the rest of them are, are on a different page. You would just hope that potentially, um, you know, that everyone will get on the same page in terms of, of, of what's going on here. I mean, but, you know, they're um, all the big boys are on one side of the table. I would say is is a good way to put it, and you know, there's another side of the table that wants to do some other things. I mean, it's just let's let's put together a system that that works out for everyone, not just and works I, out for eighty percent, but works out for a hundred percent. And and that's and that's that's definitely a problem. I, I would love to see the sport unified. I would love to see the sport being the same sport, whether it was in Oklahoma or whether it was in North Dakota. And uh, unfortunately, we have egos. And, <laughs> that, 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 uh, is, that is a perfect way to describe what is going on on the regulatory side of this sport. Yeah. It's, uh, it's I an mean, ego battle. It, 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 it is an ego battle, and everybody wants to have their piece of it. They, they, they want to have left their mark in a certain way. I, I know that there is a uh, certain commissioner in uh, – a northern place that uh, recently retired, not in the United States, that uh, wanted to have his own mark on things and did things in a very unique way. And uh, there, there's executive directors all over, not just the, the, the United States, but all over the world that want to have their own piece. We've seen it in Brazil with the Brazil Commission, and we've seen it in Canada with the Canadian Commission and shows not wanting to go to Canada and doing shows there because of who their their commissioner was. You know, we, we've seen it now in New York, and, I mean, that's the most recent one because we were able to watch that live, the whole process of, uh, of MMA being approved. And we were able to see how many people are actually involved in approving – uh, the sport and the regulations that go along with it, and now we find out that the regulations in New York are very, very stiff. Um, it would be almost impossible for promotions to survive with the regulations that New York has. I don't. That's why you see World Series of Fighting and 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 UFC of the shows doing shows there. And outside, I mean, I don't see how a quote-unquote regional show can financially they can't do a show up there. When you look at, I mean, you, I mean, you look at the World Series of Fighting, and there's a lot of rumblings about you know ticket sales were not very good for that event. And you look at the salaries that were on that card, how much it costs to rent out the theater at Madison Square Garden. You, know, sure. you, you talk about the costs that people don't think about. 
What was the cost of the hotel rooms for the fires for that week? <laughs> On New Year's Eve weekend, yeah. You know, um, we're not privy to know what the negotiations were that Ray and his staff had with, with with different hotels and different services and different things. And we'll never know what their expenses were. But I can tell you from an insider's view that they lost money. <laughs> Yeah, that's a given, and oh, no um, what they're doing, what they're what they're doing is is completely different than than what the next organization is is trying to accomplish, and uh, you know, good for them for giving the opportunities for for guys like Andre Harrison to to fight in New York, and and good for them for for being the first to breach that New Year's uh, show, you know. Uh, I applaud them for what they're trying to do. I just fiscally don't know how they're going to maintain doing those things. And maybe that's why we see a few guys that uh, are now free agents. Yeah, I'll tell you one of the guys in the World Series of Fighting that I'm really interested to see how he develops is Slovenio Rama now at 205 pounds, or, or former heavyweight champion. He's a guy I'm really interested to see. And, uh, you know, look, you, you want to see good fights. I mean, I, you know, their television ratings aren't the greatest, but... You know they're they're doing what they can, and I'll tell you this: every time I've I've talked to a fighter, you know, you know, sometimes whether it's on the, on the record, or off the record, you hear fighters complain about a promotion. I've rarely heard anyone complain about how the World Series of Fighting handles their fighters. Well, I, I think that a lot of those problems were addressed when um, an individual was released from the organization, and and uh, you know I've watched the World Series of Fighting. Uh, from a, 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 an eagle's point, and uh, you know, they do do a lot of things really well. Um, their their production is really really pretty decent. Um, the way they treat their fighters during fight week is pretty decent. Their organization is pretty decent. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that the average fan doesn't see. They just tune into a fight and see a fight. They have no idea how much work goes in to make those things possible. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I've, uh, I was a competitor of World Series of Fighting, um, but in this business, I don't want to see any organizations go out of business, no. um, because that's taking away opportunities from fighters to be able to build their way up to that next level. Yeah, it's a, you want the most promotions because it's it opens up more opportunities. You know, sure. if if a promotion goes away, there's those opportunities whether whether it's a, a television card or not a television card. It's, it's opportunities for for fighters to to make money and, and help develop. And uh, you know, it, it's just it's never you know it's not good when a, a majority of the 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 headlines that the WSOF gets is has to do with the lawsuits. I mean, there was a, a yeah, new lawsuit. I saw that came, the new law one today. Yeah, yeah. I, by the way, I laugh every time I see Sean Lampwin was a consultant. I go, come on, are we still pulling yeah. this line? Are we still saying that? Well, like, is that really it, a thing? Like, and again, anyone who th- like, anyone who says he was a consultant, uh, no, he was an owner. Get, well, let's get yeah, and that's probably why that lawsuit has come about. That's probably why his girlfriend had the lawsuit uh, about her distress over her one and a half percent or whatever it was that she had. Um, you know, but these are things that the average fan doesn't see. The average fan, they turn in and they watch fights. Mm-hmm. And uh, what they, they do as fights. far as fight-wise, they're, they're making some good fights. Um, 
it, it from top to bottom is the cards the greatest? No, but they're walking that line that I wouldn't do. They're walking that line where they're trying to put some butts in seats. And you know what? New York is a very difficult thing. And they've had shows with some poor attendance. Um, but, uh, you know, they're putting on a product where they have the ability to do some really good things. And, you know, I, I, I only hope that uh, this potential new partnership that they uh, potentially have uh, helps them um, create some more opportunities and doors for fighters to continue their careers. Yeah, I think one of the the, the smart decisions they made uh, over the last twelve months is, is teaming up with local promoters to to put yep. to basically say, okay, we're putting on a World Series of Fighting main card, whether it's four or five fights, and we want you to put together the preliminary card. And yeah. That's smart to a point, as long as you know that local promoter. I think one thing that uh, I, I see in this industry happen a lot, and you've got shows like RFA that utilize the local promoter, the the local promoter, and you have shows like Worlds of uh, World Series of Fighting that uh, are utilizing local promoters. The one thing you got to be concerned about again, and it comes back to the word ego. Um, you have local promoters that have an ego too. Oh, hey, I have the big show in town. Uh, you want to. You want to be on my card? You want to be on the World Series of Fighting card? What are you going to do for me? And, uh, you know, maybe they're taking care of their guys rather than taking care of the guys that are going to put butts in the seats and not thinking for the long term of, hey, let's build this partnership with RFA or with World Series of Fighting or whomever it is. Yeah. Um, um, let's take care of my guy first. And, uh, you know, it, unless you've vetted a, a promoter really, really well, it's it's hard to predict that. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's 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 interesting to kind of see how that that relationships does develop, and, and hopefully they succeed. I mean, I I want to see I want to see all these promotions, uh, you know, succeed and uh, you know, put you know, and put on entertaining fights. I mean, that's at the end of the day. I mean, whether you're you're watching a card in person on television or on some streaming device, you 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 just want to be entertained. Yep. That's what this is. It's the entertainment business. You know, I mean, if people are gonna, you know, you know, watch Invicta coming up, you know, they want they want to see, uh, you know, an entertaining. Uh, it's an interim title fight. Uh, you know, I don't know if we ever well. see Chris Cyborg back in Invicta again. Uh, obviously, she's got her own issues now that she has to deal with uh, there. Um, you know, or whether it's uh, you know the LFA card that that's coming up this week. Or, you know, they the have LFA five card. cards coming up, and that's. Uh... You know, not to not to stop you where where you're at there though. What LFA is doing, holy cow, to have to be promoting five cards. They have LFA one, two, three, four, and five. They're all promoting with tickets on sale today. I don't think the UFC even has five cards put together right now with uh, w- no, with tickets no. for sale. No, I mean, um, they, just, they just canceled the March 3rd event or yeah. postponing it. That's that's the way it was de- defined there. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's to me it's interesting to see how the UFC has changed under the new ownership, you know, in, in the way some of the things are going there. Um you know, you, you look at some of these cars that are, are coming up in, you know, a week or, or even a couple weeks that, you know, you don't even know the fight card lineup yet. Um, yep. You know, and, and I think the one thing the UFC has to do is they, they just have to they have to engage the fan base to be excited to tune in to watch, you know, and, and that's to me, that's the thing I see is I think that that's a little bit of a struggle right now for the UFC that I think that, that they're. 
because of him, mean, you mentioned a little earlier. I mean, we look at two hundred five, I mean, two hundred six. Even though it didn't have any buzz going into it, it ended up being an unbelievable card. You know, two hundred seven, obviously, with all the buzz around that and, and the fight card delivered. You know, you look at two thousand seventeen and you say, "What's that? What's that main event that you're just jacked up for?" Right in the first two months. I, I mean. I, I'm, and they've got to find a way to start building some more stars, you know. Is Ronda Rousey going to fight again? You know, supposedly she made a post. I didn't see it, but supposedly she made a post. And yeah, and, uh, yeah, it was like about hitting rock bottom. I mean, look, is if Ron, you know, if Ronda's not willing to make changes in her coaching staff, I hope there's somebody around her that will say you don't need to fight. Well. And that's uh, that's probably accurate statement. But again, we don't know what's going into her going on in her personal life because she doesn't even let us know what's going on in her professional life, let alone her personal life. Um, I, and you I know, said this. She's, she can learn a lot from Dominic Cruz. Yeah. Look well, how he handled defeat in, in comparison to how she's handled defeat. You know, I mean, look now when you have a broken jaw, I don't expect you to do any media after a fight's over. Um, sure, but you know, I I think it's you know. Did and, she break her jaw? Oh, in the Holly Home fight. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and look, I was not, you know, I wasn't surprised how the fight with the man Nunez went. All you have to do is pick up the phone and talk to anybody at ATT, and they'll tell you what oh, you know, the type yeah. of fire that a man Nunez has. So I wasn't surprised with with how that fight went down. Um, I, but I, I just. I really don't think we ever see Ronda Rousey in the UFC octagon again, even though, I mean, I think if you look at the top ten, she could beat a majority of those girls, but, I, I you know, I, I don't see her uh, being I don't Amanda. Know. I, you know, one thing she hadn't really experienced before the Holly Holm fight was really being hurt. And uh, everybody reacts to those things differently. Mm-hmm. And for her, she came out a much different fighter against the man Nunez than she was prior to the Holly Holm fight. And what happened prior to the Holly Holm fight? I mean, you can go back and look at weigh-ins. She didn't look the same at weigh-ins. I, I mean, there's there's just little mental things that just aren't right there. And maybe it's the whole I want to have babies with Travis Brown thing. I want to have a family. Maybe that's what it is. Who really knows? Um, but the UFC has a problem. And that's a superstar problem. They got to start building some more stars. Because when is Conor McGregor going to fight again? Conor McGregor calls his own shots, and they don't have anything they can say or do about it. Uh, Ronda Rousey, we don't know that she's coming back. John Jones, we hope that he's back in July. You know, now what? What do you got? Conor was Sage the biggest. Conor was, <laughs> was the biggest winner at UFC 207. Yeah. Because now he he's just got to sit there and say, "Fellas, you got to come to me now." I mean, this yeah. is I mean, it, and that's you know, and I, you know, and fighters have to you know the UFC has to develop fighters and making them draws you know with the, the mainstream sports fan, but fighters also have to do it on the, their own as well. They they've got to go out there, you know. I mean, you look at Conor McGregor; he does a great job of promoting himself. I mean, the guy can fire off a tweet. And get his, you know, and can get every MMA website to write about him. You know, there, there's a lot of things that that fighters could learn. You know, for how Conor handles things. I mean, you just, I mean, just look at how quick that rise was for Conor McGregor. I mean, it was sure. an unbelievable rise. And you know, that's the thing. It's just about you know getting fans excited. You know, to to sit there and watch. I mean, look, I think Yair Yair Rodriguez is a is a great talent. I. 
I hope I'm wrong, Scott, but I have a feeling that I'm going to feel like really bad watching that main event on Sunday. Uh, I think you're probably right. I mean, I, I just, you know, you know, I, I just, I, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong, but I can't, you know, as I continue to think about that fight, I still think about the last time we saw BJ Penn and what, and, and what Frankie Edgar did to him, you know, and, yeah. uh, you know, it, it'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, with, uh, Greg Jackson and Mike Winklejohn in his corner, Chase Barillo will be in his corner as well. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on there, but, uh, you know, you know. Hopefully, it's entertaining fights. You know, I'm going to be up, you know, Sunday night till you know midnight, one o'clock East Coast time, watching those fights. So, why are they doing Sunday? By the way, are they up against football or is uh, it... it'll be after uh, the NFL playoffs are over? So they're going to look, you know, get that rub from uh, you know the Sunday um, playoff game on Fox. You know that you know they've done this past couple of years. Who, um, who's playing Sunday? Is it the Chiefs? Uh, Kansas City. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the. I'm early... just throwing that out there. <laughs> I think they're the early game. Um, <laughs> I, I no, look. I, I think it was great when you know the Bucks came to Kansas City, and uh, I as, did as, not. I absolutely did not. As as we were uh, as as we me, being part of the Bucks, we were trying to win that game. I had to laugh when we had a key third down. And they started playing the war chant. I go, "Do you forget who our quarterback is?" Yeah, well. <laughs> uh, you just pumped him up, you know. Um, but uh, but no, it should, it should be. Uh, the Saturday night game's kind of be a good game. New England and Houston, that'll be a blowout. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, no. you know, they'll, they'll probably get the rub a little bit off that. I mean, and, you know, obviously, you know, they've got the Foss card um, coming up in Denver. Um, God, you know, God knows Dana will never go against New England. <laughs> no, you never want to go up against the NFL. It's, it's, UFC card canceled because New England Patriots make the playoffs. <laughs> It's it's kind of weird. I mean, a Super Bowl uh, Eve card is is an FS1 card. It's not a pay per view. Yeah, you know, in in Houston, um, the Korean Zombie returning. So, but uh, we'll be looking forward to fight, Scott. I really appreciate you taking some time out to to talk about uh, and give your unique view in terms uh, of MMA. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? No, just uh, tune in to uh, Invicta this weekend. I think that's going to be exciting. Obviously, the return of BJ Penn. Um, you know, outside that, you know, uh, that's all I got. And of course you can check out this podcast, radioinfluence.com, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. When it comes to some of the programs we got Radio Influence right now, we just announced a couple of days ago, Chef Brian Duffy, who you may have seen on Bar Rescue in today's show. Duff, he'll be hosting Duff Fight Live, which is coming to Radio Influence here at the end of January. So you definitely want to check that show out. Also, uh, Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill as he talks about some of the various law enforcement uh, stories that are going out there. His most recent show, he talks about uh, the uh, shooting that happened at the Fort Lauderdale International Airport. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Insiders Podcast, which you always hear on RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence brings you the best in digital media broadcasting. When it comes to sports, we've got experts like national sports radio host Rich Herrera, the fabulous sports babe, and former Major League Baseball manager Kevin Kennedy. Want a good laugh? Then go on the beach with Pants and Roller Girl. Get Duffified live with Chef Brian Duffy or just LOL with Nancy Alexander. And when it comes to real life, Dangerous Conversation with Scott Ledger and Beyond the Badge with Vincent Hill will make you think when it comes to what you want radio influence has you covered 
Find our programming on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>